And good evening, everyone. Welcome to installment number 12 of the series entitled Elders, Deacons, Preachers, and Saints. And as we've said before, we said again, this lesson was actually developed by a brother in Christ from the Edmond, Oklahoma Church of Christ by the name of Mike Mazalango. Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father. And we're so very thankful of the the roles that you've given us in in the church. We're thankful, Father, for the roles of of elders, of deacons, of preachers, and of saints. And, Father, we're so very thankful, Father, that as you look at the various roles, Father, you, you have roles for women in the ministry as well. Because you have made it very clear to us that we are all equal in your sight, but we have different specific roles. And those roles, your word says we must adhere to. Father, we thank you for the power of this lesson. Father, we thank you for the power of listening, learning, and understanding. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So in this lesson, as we look at the role of women in ministry, in this lesson, we want to accomplish two things. Number one, we want to explore the role of women in ministry and compare the arguments for their participation in full or limited ministry. We also want to compare the biblical uh, description of saint of a saint to the popular misconceptions of who and what this person should be. In the general discussion about saints, I think it would be helpful to review the issue that is creating turmoil in the church, and it's been doing it for some time now, and that is the role of women in ministry in the church. There's a brother by the name of James Meadows. Um, in a booklet he wrote, he has summarized well some of the many arguments, if you will, over the role of women in the church. And when we look at the problem itself, we find that it is actually an whole problem. It's nothing new. If we read certain articles about this subject, what we would think is that the debate over the role of women in the church didn't start until the 1980s or 1990s, whereas actually the stress and strain over the appropriate role for women to play in church life, especially in the area of public worship, is as old as the church itself. We can look at places like 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as well as chapter 14 and we can see Paul going about the business of addressing this issue to the Corinthians and he gave them instructions about uh, women praying and teaching. As far back as 1892, we read the Christian Evangelist, which was a publication uh, that was published by the Churches of Christ. And we can read about debates by preachers of that day over the, over the propriety, if you will, of allowing women to preach in church. In 1974, two congregations uh, of the church sponsored a seminar that was entitled Women in Christ Today. And during uh, this event, this seminar, women were the keynote speakers. And the issue being promoted was the right of women to be elders, the right of women to be preachers, the right of women to be deacons. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, there were several churches in Alabama as well as Texas that appointed 
female deacons with the stipulation that they would read scripture, they would lead prayer, they would serve communion. In Oklahoma City, there's a congregation there that allows women to lead singing. They also allow women to take part in leading devotionals of both men and women on Sunday mornings. The role of women in ministry, therefore, is a question that has always been with the church, and it will continue to be with the church because it continues to be with us today. So what is the problem? What is the problem? Well, in looking at the problem, the first step is this right here. The first step in addressing the problem or this issue is to identify where the disagreement and where the problem lie and then offer biblical teaching in order to uh, provide some direction in this matter. The key question is, what role can women exercise, not in the church, but what role can women exercise in ministry? There are two answers to the question that are, that are usually put forth. One says that women can practice full ministry in the church. This means that all roles are open to them, including preaching and teaching to both men and women, and leadership roles such as serving as elders or, or pastors, if you will. The other answer is that women have only limited ministry roles. In most cases, this would mean that the ministry of preaching and of the eldership are not open to women in the church. So what we have then is full ministry supporters and limited ministry supporters. Now, when we think of this full ministry item here, what we find is this is not a group, but rather this is an idea that's shared by many different people. Basically, a full ministry supporter would say that women should have the right to minister in any way that a man does, and that would include the preacher, the deacon, the shepherd. There are various levels we find of full ministry supporters in that it breaks out like this. Some would say women can serve in every ministry and every role, whereas another would say no, women can only serve as deacons, whereas another one would say no, women can only serve as deacons or preachers, but not as elders. These supporters are usually younger people and women. So when we turn our attention then to limited ministry, what we find is this is the traditional position. It says that only men can be appointed as deacons, as preachers, and shepherds. Also, that only men should lead in public worship. This position has been held by the majority throughout history. And obviously, those who support each side have arguments to promote their ideas and those that is what we are about to look at the arguments that promote these ideas the idea of full ministry the idea of limited ministry the primary argument for full ministry we we can refer to it as cultural argument so this being the primary argument and it is one that says god created men and women equal but 
that the Old Testament and the New Testament teachings on women in ministry were the result of rabbinical interpretations and the prejudices of a patriarchal uh, social structure. In other words, it was the custom of the Jewish culture that women were subordinate to men. And this custom was reflected in their religion and has carried on until today. And since this custom has changed and is no longer the rule in our society, it should, therefore, also change in the church as well. So that's the cultural argument. Another argument for the four ministry supporters is this. It's referred to as the, the Phoebe argument. And we, we see this when we read Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, way back uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, deacons and we were talking about that Greek word and the term and how it applied to different things, when we actually look at this text, you see the word that's used is servant, not deaconess or deacon, but servant. So we look at Romans chapter 16. Verses 1 and 2 in the Bible reads, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself also has been a helper of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe, if you use the word deacon instead of servant, and then you use the word deaconess instead of servant, you see that Phoebe is, and this is the full ministry supporters in their mindset, Phoebe is referred to as a deaconess, according to them in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, and thus that proves women held this position in the early church. So they also say if women could be deacons in the church, at the very least, they should also be allowed to lead in public work, in public prayer, uh, teach mixed groups of men and women, and do the things that some deacons did, such as Philip, for instance. He was a deacon, but he also taught and performed miracles, as we see in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. So we have cultural argument, Phoebe argument, and then there's the equal argument. Galatians 3 at verse 36, the Bible says, rightfully, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the full ministry supporters will take this and they will say this passage teaches that we are all equal in Christ. And they are right when it's because it does teach that. And then they say if slaves and free men as well as Jew and Greek are put on the same footing, then the idea that men and women are equal shouldn't mean that each have access to the same ministry roles as well. So the three arguments, the fourth argument, cultural argument, Phoebe argument, equal argument, and then there's the example argument that they use as well. And when using the example argument, they would say that the, the Old Testament has many examples of women who ministered as prophets and leaders. And, and they will point out people like Miriam and Deborah and Anna. And because of this, they say then, because of this, they should be allowed, women should be allowed to minister fully in the church today. They make a statement, it's a true statement, and, and it is a true statement. God used women in dynamic ways in the past, 
and God can still use them today. Then they say this, but it is men, not God, who deny them their potential role in ministry. It is men, not God. So those are the four arguments that support the full ministry uh, pro- uh, thought process. So let's turn our attention to the limited ministry, and we're still going to go and use those same four arguments here. Now, uh, this, um, listen to what I said. I said I'm saying this. I personally believe. Okay, I personally believe. Okay, so you know it's coming from James. I personally believe and support the notion that there is a limited ministry role for women in the church. And I'm going to give you some reasons why this is so by responding to those same arguments that was presented by the full ministry supporters. So let's go first to the cultural argument. What is written in the Bible is the product of inspiration, not culture. We see 2 Timothy 3 at verse 16, all scriptures God breathed or all scripture is inspired by God and is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we're going to sit down and study the Bible with someone, we must look at this text right here, these verses, and we got to agree with that individual. Together we have to agree that the, the Bible that we're reading is the inerrant word of God, is the, is the inspired word of God. And if you can't come to that conclusion, really is no sense in sitting out trying to study because everything that comes up, they're going to say, well, I don't believe that anyway. And you can't study with somebody that's made up their minds. I don't believe anything I'm reading anyway from the Bible. So we go back then. So the Bible is a product of inspiration. Yes, it is written by men. It has men's name attached to them in a cultural context. But its instructions, the commands in the Bible are inspired from God, not from social customs. For example, the New Testament instructions that limit a woman's ministry in the area of public worship and leadership in the church is based on a creation principle, not a cultural one. Now, when I say a creation principle, what I'm saying is this right here. I mean that the idea presented is sourced in the initial creation of man. For example, and again, I believe what I read in the Bible. I believe that homosexual practice is wrong because human sexuality is based on the principles initially established at creation by God. Men were created to partner with women. This is in the basic DNA of human sexuality. Now, it's true in the, in, the, in the society, in the world that we live in, one can change this and act differently, i.e., I'm a man saying I'm going to be a woman, a woman saying I'm going to be a man. Now, but see, that's a cultural change. That's not a biblical change. And they can do this for various reasons, but the essence of human sexuality is the creation model of one man and one woman interacting in sexual intimacy. With this in mind, I pose the following questions. Number one, when we look at 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 3, is it cultural when Paul says the head of woman is man? Is it cultural when he says that? Well, what about the statement in the same verse that says the head of Christ is God? Is that cultural or is that creation? Next question. 
when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, when Paul says that women are to be under influence, as also says the law, is that cultural or is that creation? Ephesians 5 at verse 23. He also says, God also says, the husband is the head of the wife. Is this cultural? Or rather, is it just cultural? Well, to to work on this a little bit, I'd like to go back to my logic that I like to use, what I call if-then statements. If Ephesians 5 at verse 23 is cultural, how then do we explain this comparison in the same verse where it says, even as Christ is the head of the church. Then later, God tells us in the same context, children, in Ephesians 6 at verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Is this cultural too? If so, then it means that what he says about Christ is also cultural and subject to the change in times as well. And we know that this can't be. So we go next to First um, Timothy 2, verses 12 and 13. Women are not to teach or exercise authority over man. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. In this verse, God explains the basis for the order that God has established in the home as well as in the church. And that's something we got to keep in mind here in the home and in the church, not society, but in the home and in the church. It is this order that provides the context for interpreting many other verses in the Bible regarding the role or ministry of women in the home and in the church. Our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus did the same thing when questioned about divorce. He went back to the creation to establish the model that we are to follow for marriage. Paul does the same to establish the model for the role of the woman in the home and the church as well. Now, I understand that today um, in our society, there are pressures today to change the rules and style of traditional marriage. And they want to change it from the model that is based on the model found in the Bible. And it is the same for the role of women in the family and in the church. There are many changes in society taking place. There are many changes in society now. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them are legitimate. But for the house and for the church, we are bound by the biblical model in every era. Now think about this, what Christ Jesus did and what Christ Jesus is doing. Christ Jesus did not and does not legislate the role of women in society. He doesn't. But what he does do is this right here. He does legislate the role of women in the home and in the church. Now, again, getting back to Phoebe here in, this, in the arguments, supportive argument for the limited ministry. Again, as we say this again, the word deacon used to describe her is a common word used to describe any servant. 
It is the same Greek word used to describe the ones who filled the water pots at the wedding in Canaan when we read uh, John chapter 2 at verse 5. Check this out. Even the Emperor Nero was, it was used for the Emperor Nero as well to describe him. It was also used to refer to specific servants in the church. The use of the word to describe Phoebe simply means that she was a good and trusted servant or a good and trusted messenger, which, if you think about it, we as Christians, that is what we all should be. We all should be good and trusted servants, good and trusted messengers. There is no difference or example in the New Testament of a woman serving. There is no reference or example in the New Testament where we find a woman serving as a deacon. And in terms of wording, the first use of the word deaconess only appears in writing, writings rather, that were made hundreds of years after the end of the New Testament period. So when we go back into that first century when, when those 66 books was being compiled and authenticated, you did not find that word used there. It was hundreds of years later that someone started using it. Now in the Bible, we have direct commands, we have lengthy teachings, we have examples of men who, who were being singled out to be deacons. But check out what we don't have. We have none of these for women serving in this role as a deacon. Good Bible interpretation. Good Bible interpretation requires that when we have a, a clear teaching, we go with what is written in the Bible and not with church history notations long after the apostolic period ended. I know sometimes we look at what's being said here and sometimes we say, well, you know what you guys have been? You guys are being prejudiced. You guys are being chauvinistic. You guys just want to be in control of everything. But that's not so. It is not prejudice. It is not chauvinistic to say that there is nothing in the New Testament to support the role of women as deacons. It is a simple matter of record. It's a simple matter of inspired record that we are all subject to obey as Christians. Romans 16 and verse 1 could, I'll be honest with you, it could refer to Phoebe as an official deacon or a trusted agent, okay? But think about this. All other passages, passages point to her being a trusted servant, and we are to go with that. In the study of the Bible, in the study of the Bible, it is better to go with the many pieces of evidence that point to a logical conclusion than, than the one obscure notation that can be interpreted in various ways. In other words, more ways than one. The equal argument. The Bible teaches and promotes. Again, we look at Galatians 3 verse 16, for you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches and promotes the idea that men and women are equal, contrary to the social custom of, of New Testament times. Christianity was the religion that promoted the equal value of women to men long before it was a modern social issue. The distinction that the Bible makes, and it does make a distinction, the distinction that the Bible makes, however, is that men and women have different roles. 
for instance. Some roles are different because of nature. Women, for instance, child-rearing, giving birth. And some are different because of assignment by God. Role in family, role in church. Men and women, yes, men and women are equally saved when they are united with Christ Jesus through baptism. But they do not discard their natural or assigned roles. Most of us in here, if not all of us in here, have been baptized. Men and women. Some right there. When we came out of the water, we went in as a male, we came out a male. We went in as a female, we came out as a female. That did not change, which means God's plan did not change. The Bible makes it clear that submission to the husband or insubmission while learning in the church does not mean inferiority. The role assigned by God is one that must be accepted freely in order to be legitimate. Men must accept freely to provide holy and loving leadership in the home and in the church. Women must accept freely to place themselves in submission to their husbands in the home and to the elders in the church, as men must do also. God has created man and woman equal in value and in human potential for good. In certain contexts, both men and women can exercise their talents and abilities freely and without restraint. For instance, in business and sports and things like that. And, you know, I'm an old guy, and I've been working for a long time. And I'll be honest with you. In all the years and all the jobs that I've had, I would rather any day have a woman supervisor than a man. And the women I have worked for have been some tough ladies. They didn't take no prisoners. But they were always fair. They were always just, and I never had to worry about getting into a macho, macho thing with them. We can talk, and we can discuss, and we can do it. So when anybody ever asks me, who would you rather work for, I would always say a woman. Now, for women, they say it differently. Give me a man any day, but that's okay. That, you know, we have that flexibility in the business, in the workplace. God has ordained, however, that in the family... And in the church, each sex will play a specific role and not necessarily one that comes easily or one that comes naturally to them. For example, here at Anchorage Church of Christ, the one on the bar road, I can say for certainty, for some men here, leadership does not come easily. Leadership does not come naturally. At Anchorage Church of Christ, the one on the bar road, I can say this. For some women here, submission goes against their nature. But God, God supplies the grace. God supplies the strength to mold our individual personalities to his will in order to honor him. I'm sure that it did not come easily. For Christ Jesus to submit to a disgraceful public execution for sins he had nothing to do with committing, but he did it anyway. God requires, for the sake of order, for the sake of peace, for the sake of edification, that equal people, men and women, 
take on specific roles and we honor him when we do so freely and when we do so joyfully. The idea that there are many examples of women ministers in leadership roles in the Bible, brethren, is simply inaccurate. In his book, All the Women of the Bible, Dr. Robert Locklear, Herbert Locklear says that in the 260 references where women are named or referred to in the Bible, there is not one single case where a woman was in a leadership role in the worship to Jehovah. Now, there are some specific cases we need to look at. There are some specific cases like Anna who prophesied in the temple, but there was a partition that separated the men from the women in the temple. And so she may have done so to the women on a regu- in a regular way. Deborah, a woman described as a prophetess in the Old Testament. We see this in Judges 4 at verse 4 and Judges 5 at verse 7. She gave judgment over Israel as a mother in Israel, always maintaining a maternal imagery. At 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 through 35, Paul talks about women praying and prophesying and gives instructions about how they are to do this. The text reads, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. We go to First Timothy 2. First Timothy 2, verses 8 through 13. The Bible reads, 8 through 15, I'm sorry. The Bible reads, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain silent. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through their bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Paul says that women are not to speak, teach, or have authority over a man in church. Did he contradict himself? That's the question. The full ministry supporters seem to think so. So, but a simpler explanation is to conclude that in the first century, like in the synagogues and like they do today, the women edified each other. 
And when this happened, those who prayed and prophesied at those occasions wore a veil to demonstrate their ongoing submissive attitudes despite the demonstration of gifts and leaderships among the women. Today, we don't have veils to separate the men and the women in our society. But we don't have these veils, but women who exercise their talents, women who exercise their gifts for leadership in our children's programs, in our women's Bible studies, and various benevolence and service projects demonstrate their submissive attitudes in the way they act and by working under the oversight of the church's elders. The oversight of the elders, then, provides the cover of the veil for Christian women of today. This is why even the preachers and deacons work and talk with the elders and ask them to review their work and plans before they go ahead with them, because it, too, is a sign of submission. So much time and so much energy is spent discussing the few areas where God, not man, has limited woman in the area of ministry. There are so many other important ministry roles where women can serve equally, if not more effectively than men. And I want to just share a few of them with you. For instance, ministry to the ill, elderly those who are alone, ministry of teaching to children and women, ministry of mentoring to younger women and especially younger wives and mothers, ministry of um, ministry as wives of elders, deacons, preachers, and the responsibility that goes with this, ministry of evangelism such as you saw with Priscilla and Aquila, Ministry of hospitality. We can always use greeters here. Ministry of service. So with all of that said, as we come to a close, here are three appeals that I have to the women of Anchorage Church of Christ. And I like to say Anchorage Church of Christ, the one is on the bar road, just in case we don't know which one I'm talking about. Have three appeals for the ladies of our congregation. Number one, that the ladies of Anchorage Church of Christ accept their biblical role in ministry with grace and humility and honor God in doing so. Number two, that the women of Anchorage Church of Christ exercise the opportunities for ministry that do exist and are sufficient to satisfy, edify, and glorify. And number three, that the women of Anchorage Church of Christ realize that, like men, their number one ministry, their number one ministry is the saving of their own souls. How can you help someone else save their souls if you're not working on saving your own? So then, we have reviewed the role and qualification of each appointed position in the church. And... We have also focused on the special role of women in ministry, not in the church, in ministry. So what we're going to do now is turn our attention next week. We're going to turn our attention and focus to the role of the saint. The, the word saint is a generic term that refers to 
all Christians, all of us are saints by virtue of the fact that we were united with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism. No one else have to do anything special to make that be. God has already put that in place. So next week, we will be answering the question, who are the saints? And I've said this on numerous occasions. When we become Christians, it's no longer about what we are or what we were. It's now about who we are. Because each and every day we dig into the word of God that who we are improves for the better. is part of that spiritual walk where we mature in the faith. And that is what God is interested in, not what we used to be. God is interested in who we are since we were united with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism. Who are you today? Because remember, faith is always in the present. It's never in the past. It's not in the future. Faith is in the present. Hope is in the future. So then, we want to thank everyone for joining us tonight and through these 12 weeks of this this series. uh, For those who are visiting with us online, we have our contact information should you wish to contact us. For those who are online as well as those who are present, whether you're visiting with us or identify with the congregation, in about five or ten minutes we're going to be having a devotional. And I really, really hope and trust that each and every time we come together on Wednesday, we come together with the mindset that we're coming in here for not only the Bible study, but we're also coming in here for the devotional as well because everything that happens here is, is, is happening for a reason and designed for a reason. It is happening and designed to help us prepare ourselves for the, the remaining days of this week when we still have to go out into the world and allow people to see God living in us. So thank you all for joining me tonight, and I hope to see you during the devotional, and we'll see you again on Sunday. Thank you.